0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today DFS. My name is Sia Najad at Sia Najad. And we're continuing our off-season series highlighting DFS. Highlighting game theory strategy player analysis. And we have a really special guest today. Uh, her name is Megan Schaup. She is a DFS player. She is the co-creator of Fanspeak. You can follow her on Twitter at Megs08DFS. Megan, how are you today?
2: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about football again. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. So that's the cool thing is we're, Megan, we are just a couple months away and it actually feels like, you tell me if I'm wrong here, it feels like we can touch it, right? Like it feels like we are on the cusp of people in helmets and in pads and watching exactly. season
2: games, right? Three weeks from today is the Hall of Fame game. That's amazing. That I'm is so amazing.
1: <laughs> let let the countdown begin. So, Megan, I I love your work. I I've, I've been Thank on you. FanSpeak, and I'd like you to tell people about that. But you know, there's something you put out on FanSpeak and on Twitter of uh, just kind of doing an accounting of not literally necessarily, but an accounting of what your DFS experience has been over the last ten years, and and particularly the last two years where you've had some right. bumps in the road, and and you kind of used this on on your Twitter and on FanSpeak. You kind of used your platform to kind of like teach, whether you were trying to do that on purpose or not. I think it's really important this time of year, before we get into the fantasy season, to take stock of, hey, where are our misses, where are our hits? And in your case, I think you can help a lot of people doing that.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, I um, started playing in 2013, all the way back in the draft street days. And um, so that kind of shows my age. But I um, had, you know, I believe six winning seasons, profitable seasons in a row from 14 to 19. And then, you know, 20 and 21 were both losing seasons. So, you know, after one year, I thought, well, maybe it's just bad variance. And then after two years, I was like, you know, maybe some things in the process need to change. And so that's why I took a deeper dive, looked at Roto Tracker, really looked at results, really analyzed things. And, you know, kind of it wasn't very. Uh, comfortable to do, but it, I think long-term hopefully will be a beneficial thing to do. And if it helps anybody else out, then that would be awesome too. Well, I'll tell you what,
1: I want to get right into it in terms of some of the pointers. And I'll tell everybody that's listening, we are actually going to get into some other stuff too, after we kind of go through, you know, four or five rules or four or five things that, that Megan, I think, wants to sort of take account of, improve upon in her gameplay, which is I think going to help all the listeners as well. But once we're done with that, I do want to ask is she she's big into the DraftKings tiers. Uh, game, which I think is really interesting because I don't think a lot of people are even aware that it exists. And it yeah. very it very much exists and, it, and it's very much kind of a newer thing. Anytime there's a newer thing, Megan, as you know, there's probably an edge to be at. So we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Megan is does some sports betting too. So um, we're going to talk about maybe some of the teams she likes going into this season. Um, Megan, let's get started though with this accounting that I referred sure. to, um, your number one rule here, what was it? Or not rule, but your number one thing that 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 you think maybe was a miss over the last couple of years.
2: I think it was too much volume. Um, you know, I'm a hand builder, so this does not apply for the mass multi-entry folks that use optimizers and everything. Um, I'm a hand builder, and I think honestly, you know, I need to really. Stick to the quality over quantity, less is more. I'd rather build less, better, really good lineups than more average lineups. And that's what I think I ultimately did. I just kept throwing more volume and more volume. And sometimes it was a product of, you know, I think we'll get into this later listening to too much and feeling like that fear of missing out. Well, I've got Mm -hmm. to play him. So I got to play him and, and then just adding more lineups. And, um, I just think it was way too much volume and and not enough focus on just trying to make really good lineup. So, yeah, I think less is more sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because if you're watching us on YouTube, um, I am literally putting my hand up right now because I fall victim of that, too. And And, and I don't know on a subconscious level whether it's conscious or subconscious, you know, I think you're right. It is a little bit of fear of missing out. It's like, well, I didn't Mm -hmm. make a lineup with this combo, with this stack, with with this low-end guy that might go off. So let me at least do one lineup with that guy. And then that just goes down a slippery slope where you're right. Very slippery slope. (laughs) <laughs> you, all of a sudden you have, you know, 15 lineups and you've diversified your portfolio so much that unless you really smash in one of these, you're, you end up just paying the rake in all of these tournaments because you're betting against yourself ultimately. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I um, it's a funny line from the show Frazier where uh, he says to his brother Niles, if less is more, just think of how much more more could be. And right. it's funny, yeah. but like, unfortunately, that's how people think. It's like, well, let me, I want to get this big hit. I want to have at least one tournament or one cash game where I, I really hit big. And so Megan, let me ask you from a practical standpoint, what does that mean? So it, when you say too much volume, okay, so last year, maybe the year before you, you had maybe however many lineups, like, is there a, a sort of formula for yourself where you want to do, you know? Five or six main hand build lineups that you're entering in all the contests. Is there an actual number
2: that goes with that? I need to think of, about that a little bit before, more before this season starts. I think that's a really good question. Um, I think. I think it does need to be though setting a number. I'm gonna do X amount of classic. I'm gonna do X amount of tears. I'm gonna do X amount of showdown. And just keeping that and not doing the adding to because I feel the fear of missing out. Um, So I haven't found that sweet spot yet or I haven't landed on what the number will be this season. I probably will be in that like six classic lineup range um, and then deciding how I want to diversify um, in the different niche um, games, which I know we'll talk more later. And then also I do like to diversify a little bit with the 1 p.m., 4 p.m. only, because again, everything is for classic main slate. And so, you know, I think you can maybe do a little bit different strategies with the 1 p.m. only or the 4 p.m. only. So I think it's deciding that, but I was trying to do too much of all the different types of contests on, you know, on both sites of FanDuel and DraftKings. So I'm still figuring out the right number, um, but uh, somewhere in that range sounds about right.
1: Yeah. And we're going to get into like different types of, of slates and contest selection and things of that nature, because right. I think it is really important to hone in on, on what you're comfortable with, what you're good at. I can tell you, Megan, and I know the listeners know this as well. Mike McClure, who's a co analyst on this Fantasy Football Today DFS show, you know, we do a Tuesday show and a Thursday show. The Tuesday show is usually just a recap of how we did. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's terrible, and sometimes it's somewhere in the middle. But Mike Mm -hmm. McClure always does five lineups. He just, he always does five lineups. And I'm not saying you should do that or I should do that necessarily, but he is very strict with that rule. And I think that's the important part. Whatever you pick, you you fundamentally need to stick to that. And and, and again, I, I know I don't need to tell you that, but it's just interesting that we're even talking about this because going right. to last season, Mike told us, he's like, listen, I'm going to do five lineups. And on the Tuesday recap show, I'm going to show you every, uh, every single one of the five lineups. And, you know, we can kind of have at it. And, you know, sometimes he hits really big and right. sometimes he misses, but again, DFS is always, you know, especially when, uh, when it comes to tournaments, it's all about that huge hit, the big tournament hit. and one big hit one season can support the other, you know, 17 weeks or however many you're playing. Absolutely.
2: Well, that's good to hear to, you know, the five lineups, but just that he sticks to it. And then that's what I I need to do. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. Okay. So we went over too much volume. That was number one. What was
2: number two? Well, the field has gotten a lot sharper since 2013. (laughs) Um, There's a lot more great content out there and that's, Mm -hmm. that's, That's a good thing. I mean, we hope that Fanspeak is another resource for everybody this season. But with that said, the field has gotten sharper, and some edges you may have had in 14, 15, 16 just have kind of gone away, you know, in the last few years, um, just because there is so much content and subscriptions and, and, you know, shows to support um, giving good advice, really. And and so I think the field is – um you know just reacting to different things or or playing differently or however it is the field just generally i think has gotten sharper and so to that i think you just have to continue to find edges um and i think sometimes it is not to say that you want to fade the public or fade what what the analysts are saying but i think sometimes don't be afraid to make a stand i think that's sometimes my problem is i'll hear analysts you know, talk about a concept or a player or a stack, and I'll think, well, this, I have to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. and if that fits my process and, you know, what I'm going through over the week through data and articles, and I feel that that is correct, then if I feel like it's good chalk, right, then I need to go with it. Great. But if I don't, I can't just kind of have that fear of missing out and um, just not be afraid to make stands, I think, in in this very competitive environment now. That's the thing
1: is, is, uh, you know, to a degree, it's not that the edge is lost, but there is so much information out there. So, you know, the way I look at it is, is knowledge is power. And when you know, Hey, this is where the industry is headed, or Mm -hmm. maybe you don't even need to like, listen to an analyst. Maybe we know week one that everybody's going to be on that Kansas city, Arizona Cardinals game at four twenty five because yeah, right. Obviously it's a 53 point total. You got Pat Mahomes, you got Kyler Murray, who's healthy, you know, Everybody wants to play Marquise Brown and they want to figure, you know, Travis Kelsey, you name it. And so I think knowing that going in, you're playing the game more than you're playing the player. And I think it it takes people really understanding that uh, Mm -hmm. for them to actually be able to make the pivot that they need to make. So I I agree with you when you say chalk, you know, it's interesting. There is there is going to be good chalk. There is going to be chalk that you're just going to have to play. But knowing where the industry is, now you can use all of this analysis and this, this information you know, vortex, you can kind of use it against the people who are playing because you kind of know where they're headed, right?
2: Right. And as I think I mentioned that in, in part two is using ownership in the right context, not just to say, oh, well, this guy's going to be 30% owner. I can't play him. Or he's going to be 5% owner. I have to play him. Like you said, base it more on how do I feel about the player that week and what has my process led me to on this player or this stack? Okay. If I, if I agree with it, then I'm going to go overweight that uh, what the, what they're projecting for the ownership. If I don't agree with it, then don't be afraid again to make the stand go either way underweight or fade it.
1: Yeah. And um, this actually dovetails really nicely into number three, which I'll just, I'll just say it, it's information overload. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious, Megan, how you deal with that because you know, I, I think fundamentally we're so excited to get to that next week. You know, pricing comes out, whatever it is, Monday night, Tuesday morning is when you see it. And you know who you kind of want to play, but then you're just excited to listen to your favorite people on fantasy Absolutely. football today DFS or so at Fanspeak, exactly. which fanspeak.com, by the way, or at fanspeak on Twitter. Like and so you listen to your your your, your basic uh podcasts and shows, and then all of a sudden, without realizing it hey, some of your opinions changed and your opinions in the first place were actually pretty good. So mm-hmm. how do you, you know, okay, so that's number three on your list. I'm just curious,
2: how do you combat that?
1: How do you get away from the information overload? Again, knowing that you're just so excited to attack all the information week to week.
2: Right. Because you're absolutely right. By the time Monday rolls around, I'm just like wanting, you know, it's like you're you're wanting to take in as much as you can. And, you know, it the shows and 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 the content and the data are released throughout the week. but um I, I, I need to find that sweet spot of like, um, you know, how much to take in each day. I think it's it's um it's kind of the how, the when, the who. Um, I think, you know, when I was taking, sometimes I was like listening to like four or five shows in one night, and that's just mm-hmm. way too much. By then, I've just gone, you know, cross-eyed, and so mm-hmm. um, I also think you know how I do it. I I probably am a note taker. I'm a very visual learner, um, so you know I need to kind of do that. I think I also need to pick who. I mean, again, there. This isn't a knock on any of the amazing analysts and content out there. It's it's also good that that's why again it's made the field so so sharp. But I think there's a lot of times where whether it's a cash game analyst or a high stakes analyst or a analyst that um, plays in the Millie maker and, and is, is mass multi-entering, that might not be the right analyst for me because I'm a single entry, kind of like you said, Mike um, core does five lineups single entry three max five max i you know i'm playing in that range of lineups i'm hand building so i need to kind of find the analysts that kind of build lineups like me play in contests like me play in contest sizes like me and i think that might be a key because there's really different strategies for the mm-hmm. millie maker versus high stakes you know uh under 100 person field contest you know Yeah, and I'll get a lot of people who will
1: ask me because I do PGA and I do NFL, but let's just because we're in PGA season, they'll send me a lineup. They'll say, hey, what do you think about this lineup? And I don't, my my answer is a question because my question of mm-hmm. course has to be, well, where are you entering it? Is this in one of right. those, are you firing a single bullet in one of these mass multi-entries or is this a single entry? You know, if it is mm-hmm. a single entry, how many people are in it? You know, how many people? There, right. there's a lot of questions that if, if you're a good analyst, you, you have to default to those questions because you don't have enough information. Yet. And I'll tell you just to plug FFTDFS, you know, Absolutely. Mike and I... Are very different in how so Mike's using an optimizer and he has this great model, great system. He's a very sophisticated builder. Even though it's only five lineups, he he's he's kind of put. He's got all the inputs and whatnot. I'm more like you, Megan. I'm more of a hand builder. I'm looking mm-hmm. at stats. I'm also like watching tape and and going by right. field to some degree feel, as yeah. well, uh, because that's what's suited me. That's that's how I've been successful in the past. So, right. um, from an FFT DFS standpoint. Uh, One thing I'm really proud of when it comes to this show is that we do have different styles. You know, Mike also, Mike McClure also enters 150, you know, in certain contests, particularly Showdown, like where he's a specialist there too. So those are things he's really good at. I would never claim to be really good at those things outside of the analysis itself. So um, I I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, you have to find the show for you, the analyst for you. And if you're listening to somebody who's building contests in a completely different, you know whatever uh, format than you are, then that advice, it's not that it's not good advice. It's not good for you. For you. Right. Exactly. And and that's why, Megan, I love your information overload thing, because it's fine if you want to listen. If you're bored in the car and you have a long drive, Mm -hmm. like that's great. But you have to contextualize which are the ones that are really good for you. What's the advice that's really good for you? What's the relevant advice that you think is actually going to work? And what's just a show? What's just entertainment? Because exactly. some, some analysis is really good, but as it as it relates to you, it's entertainment. So I, I absolutely love uh, the information uh, overload part because I think that plagues a lot of people, frankly.
2: Right, absolutely. And in in my um Twitter thread, I got to use the the Kramer, it's too much gif, which mm-hmm. I, I, I I saw that. <laughs> that that made me, you know I got to use the, the gifs from all my favorite TV shows, so that was fun in the in the thread. And remind everybody, by the way,
1: uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Because I want to make sure you get followed. Uh, Let me make sure sure I got it right. It's at Megs as in M-E-G-S 8 D-F-S, right? Correct. That is it. Does does the 8 have any application? Is that when you started your Twitter?
2: Um, No, I'm an August birthday. Uh, August is my favorite month. I mean, August is when, you know, we get football back. So, I mean, it's appropriate, right? (laughs) That's, That's fate right there. Uh, that's perfect. <laughs> that is right. Exactly.
1: Okay, so we have two more rules to go. Again, I keep misspeaking. They're not necessarily rules, but I guess you could call them rules. Rules to rules of engagement to maybe improve your improve. Um, your your NFL DFS or your DFS in general. What's number four? Uh,
2: the last two years, I have been building lineups way too late and. I, I like to blame COVID for everything, so I'll blame the COVID news. The waiting on the COVID news, especially in 2020, and but even mm-hmm. last year. I mean, my goodness! By the end of last year, it was a mess. I mean, games were still getting rescheduled. So, waiting on that last-minute news: is he in? Is he out? Is he? He's coming off the COVID list. How? You know, was he? Did he? Was he symptomatic? You know, all there was mm-hmm. so much of of that. Um, And maybe that played a role in waiting too long to build lineups, but it honestly, it's no excuse. It's, um, you know, I need to build the lineups earlier. It's just, it's a bad habit that I've honestly gotten in. And that's why there's honestly no excuse for it. It just, I need to have my lineups, my shell lineups, let's call them built by, by Saturday afternoon at the latest, in my opinion, and then just have those like, okay, well, if this guy is out or if this guy is. In, but we didn't see expect that, then have those pivots ready to go to edit the lineups. But don't uh, the building the lineup Sunday morning is so overwhelming. And then on top of that, I was listening to Sunday morning shows and trying to build lineups for just a perfect storm. <laughs> Megan,
1: you have mirrored the last however many Sundays during football season for me, and it's, right. and it's such an interesting yeah. problem. Because, of course, you want to wait for inactives or some COVID news or, you know, something like that. But, you know, when it comes to the way in which, Megan, you and I build with hand builds, it's pretty easy. It's not like we have, you know, 100 lineups to tweak if some some new news comes out. So as much as I want to wait for information, which generally we get by Saturday afternoon, generally. Most of the
2: time. Right. Exactly.
1: But to the extent we're wrong, okay, well that's okay because now we can change our lineup. And if that if that one change prompts another change because the pricing is all you know different, then then so be it. But I got to tell you, you're absolutely right. I have found myself building to twelve fifty nine Eastern Standard Time, just getting my last couple lineups in in time, like the way I'm hand building it. And not only is it way too stressful for a, mm-hmm. a casual Sunday afternoon, <laughs> but it's it's not right because you 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 are now taking a week's worth of information and and questions and trying to jam pack them into forty five minutes. Now listen, I leave myself just like you, Megan. I bet you leave yourself two to three hours to do that. I do. Sunday, right? yes, but it's yeah. It's never enough time. So I never. know some. I know some people are like, hey, you don't want to. You know, build a a shell lineup. Well, that might be true on Tuesday. It might be true on Wednesday. But that doesn't mean you can't have the the, most of them built, especially if you're a hand builder. It doesn't mean like Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, have most of them done. And then you can make you can spend Sunday making your changes instead of
2: making your lineups, right? Exactly. That is, that is going to be a rule for me this year. I'm calling it a rule. (laughs) I I could spend a whole show on this. I'm not joking. I could too.
1: I I really, every single Sunday, I was so frustrated with myself and every, the next Sunday would be the same thing. And I just didn't learn my lesson. And it's like, there has to be a better way to do that. And frankly, I thought my, some of my lineups, uh, you know, paid a toll for that because I, I don't think some of my lines weren't well thought out because I'm like, oh, I only have three minutes left and I got- Because you're the rushing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In, in fact, we're both Washington fans, you can tell mm-hmm. <laughs> by our backgrounds. And um, I used to have um, Washington season tickets with my family. We gave those up in 18 and then just went to a couple games in 19 and then didn't the last couple of years. And I'm like, could that be? I mean, that's the, there for a while. I was going to six, seven, eight games a year. And that's when I was really doing well. I'm like, are we on to something here? Is mm-hmm. it because I wasn't building at all really on Sundays and I had the lineups done by 9 a.m. And I'd maybe tweak a couple things in the car or at the tailgate or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we're on to something here. And that is it's because my lineups were pretty much built by Saturday night.
1: Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for that. And by the way, before this podcast is done, we will get to some Washington Commanders talk and just, just global it. NFC East talk, because I know you have some take on Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles that, that are not, it's not a take that mirrors most of the people in the industry. So I think it's really interesting. But let's go to no, rule number five. Again, I say rule, but what what's number five in, in your sort of, sort of manifesto that you have on Twitter and on fanspeak.com?
2: Yeah, it's just finding out what you're good at. I use Roto Tracker um, to look at my results, and and just really putting your money, you know, kind of putting your money where your mouth is, putting your money w- at what you're good at. And what I realized is, I've done much better at Fanduel Classic, um, and I've I've had I know Fanduel has a, a single um, game contest as well, and I've had some um, decent. Um, Decent win. I think I've had a couple wins and a um, you know a couple high finishes there. But generally speaking, I've done much better on Fanduel Classic and then much better in like the niche contests like Showdown and Tears on DraftKings. So I think I'm really going to just focus my energy and my lineups on that this season. It's mainly, and not that it's going to be 100, but like mainly will be Fanduel Classic. And then on DraftKings, it'll be mainly the niche contest, definitely um, Showdown and Tears. But maybe I'll even, you know, try in-game Showdown or Snake Draft or, you know, those kind of things, too. Um, so that, that's what it, I learned was from the Rototracker um, analysis was just trying to figure out where I'm good at the different contests and, and put my energy there. And let me ask you something, because there are certain
1: contests I'm good at as well. And some that that I'm just flat, like where it's like I'm good sometimes, I'm bad sometimes. But there's some where I cash way more than others, and I'll get to ones in particular that I'm talking about in a second. But is is there any rhyme or reason? Like when you feel when you see that you're good at like the afternoon slate, or maybe the show a showdown, for example. Like Mm -hmm. is there something about you and your process that? that makes you good at that? Or is it just, Hey, that's what I'm good at. Because I don't necessarily have an explanation for why I'm good in certain places and, and just flat in others.
2: Um, that's a really good question. I think, sorry, my dog, my dog got up and moved around. Um, uh, I, I think that with showdown, that is one where you really cannot be afraid to make a big stand. And, um, I think that's why I've had some success in Showdown. I noticed, and I can remember the wins. Some of them, I have their pictures behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's where, you know, I kind of, they always say, tell a story with Showdown. And I told a story, well, maybe this can happen. It may not be the highest percent chance of happening, but if it does, then I'm going to get a lot of leverage on the field. So I think um, Showdown, I've had a lot of success with over the years because I haven't been afraid to make stands. And I think that's, that's one instance or, you know, for that particular type of contest.
1: Yeah. I love that. I'll tell you my, my big success over the last couple of years has tended to be the afternoon slate. Now I could okay. just, I could just go, I could potentially say the, the the one o'clock slate too, but it's really the afternoon slate because typically you're only dealing with three or four games. And Megan, I'm a poker player. And so I usually draw the poker analogy where you can play nine-handed or you can play six-handed. I've okay. always, even back in like 20 years ago, Megan, when we were doing like the, not we, you know, full tilt and party poker, like those, right. days, I always enjoyed the six-handed games more than the nine. And, and th- there were reasons for that. It was because, you know, I can use position more. I can open up my hand range a little bit more. I can take advantage of others who perhaps aren't opening their hand range enough and just pick them off because they're afraid to play certain hands or certain things post-flop. And I I find it to be true in the afternoon slate too, where I can Mm -hmm. sort of narrow down like, and I make the hand range analogy here. I can narrow down. Okay. What are these people's like, what's, what's the hand range? Oh, the hand range uh, for this afternoon slate uh, on, on opening day is going to be, they're going to play the Kansas City Arizona game or they're going to play the Chargers Raiders game. Like that's the range that they're dealing with. Okay. Well, I'm I'm going to speculate with those games to some degree, but maybe instead of focusing on the passing game like everybody's going to focus on, maybe I'll focus on the running game. Maybe right. I'll maybe I'll play that Vikings Detroit. I think they play um maybe it's philly or detroit i'm trying to remember but maybe i'll play that vikings game as the kind of the, the third tier game because nobody's really going to be t- paying attention to that conditions will right. be good in minnesota like so my point is there are reasons why hey maybe you don't want to play the main slate with 12 or 13 games or or whatever mm-hmm. it is on a given sunday because there's so much going on maybe you want to narrow your focus because if you narrow your focus now you're 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 narrowing the information like where people are likely going to go and and I exactly. think there's something to be said for that
2: I 100% agree. And I think there's also two benefits. One is, I think we kind of touched on this earlier, most content is like really specifically for the classic main slate. So again, if you do some different concepts that are for the short slate, I think you can, you know, maybe gain an edge. And then the second thing is, if you are still playing some classic, you can use that as a natural, as a way to hedge, you know, okay, maybe I didn't get some exposure to some four o'clock games. And I didn't do it in a classic, but obviously I'm going to have it here and I'm going to overload it here on these particular players or stacks or games. Totally agree. And, and I think I've definitely done
1: that where I've been on the main slate completely just not exposed at all to certain games. And I'll mm-hmm. just I'll just pick uh, one or two afternoon contests and I'll just kind of overload it there and be like, all right, here's my here's my exposure. Right. So uh, I love that. So, I, you know, I did want to ask you, Megan, about the tiers contest, because, again, I don't think yeah. anybody really knows what that is. I mean, some people do, obviously, but for the most part, people don't really know what the DraftKings tiers contests are. But before we get into that, I, I do want to take a break so we can hear a word from our partners. OK, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought
0: hits you.
1: and we are back with Megan Schaup of Fanspeak. You can find her at Megs08DFS. Now, Megan, aside from putting out her manifesto, I don't know why I'm calling that, Uh, my apologies. I I like it, it's great. I thought it sounded good. Her D her her new DFS manifesto in terms of how she can get better. Uh, and I think we all need to look to do that. But what's interesting is you play this Tears contest, which I have personally I've seen before, but mm-hmm. admittedly never played it. Can you just kind of tell us what, what that is so people know and, and we'll go from there?
2: Sure. So the tiers um contest, it's it's eight tiers, and it's basically Tier one and tier five are quarterbacks, obviously the top echelon quarterbacks in tier one. And then tiers two, three, four are like a mix of running back receiver tight ends and like the studs. Um, And then tiers, let's see, six, seven, and eight, that's where you get more of like your second receivers, maybe pass catching running backs. Um, You know, those guys that definitely can go off, um, but, you know, are maybe not as likely. You know, if there're more diamonds in the rough a little bit. Um more boom bust I should say. And um so that's kind of how it's laid out. And the the benefit to tiers is there's only those players available. So, you know, obviously in classic all the players are available. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you miss out on, you know, maybe a, a super low Owned cheap guy, you know you could be in big trouble, um, and and then there's no there's no salary to worry about too. So you can really choose the best players in each tier because that is the goal. You're trying to get the highest score in each tier, and the, the another thing that I like about tiers is you don't have to be as concerned on ownership. Um I'm going to actually be putting out a data series in the next week or two about some tiers data where you can gain edges but um looking for like players that are sub 10 or 15% owned in the top 1% of lineups last year. I believe you only the those top 1% of lineups only really had to find it in Two tiers. It was like 1.8 average. So if you're finding like a sub 15% owned, owned guy in um, just like two out of the eight tiers, then you know you can still find your leverage to to vault your way to the top. So there's a lot of I think benefits, and again, because there's not a lot of content for it. I think it's a niche that you can find leverage. Believe me, there's still a lot of really good DFS players that play it. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of the same names up towards the top um, week to week, but but you still, I think, can find an edge because again, there there is a lack of content. Um, I will have a ton of content for it this this fall, but I think you know that that in a way lets you have a little more leverage because the content isn't oversaturated.
1: I absolutely love that. I mean, it it really kind of... Spells a lot of the things you had, a lot of the rules you had, because again right. we talked about information o- overload. You know, we don't have a lot of information. We talked about the field is sharper. Well, not yet when it comes to tiers because there's not much of a field to be sharp in. Everybody's paying attention right. to this big thing over here. Um, I I absolutely love that, and, and I will definitely be looking to you. Where where would that content be published? Is it on Fanspeak?
2: It will be on Fanspeak this year um, and Fanspeak Network. Um, we're building up. Our- our YouTube channel as well. So I'll have a tiers show. I will have a weekly tiers article. And um, yeah, I, I kind of pick my um, kind of favorite play in each tier and then kind of give my core plays because you're going to want to rotate through them. Some In some tiers, you may say, oh, I only want to rotate between these two or three guys. And then in other tiers, because as you get further along, there are more, more players in the tier. You may say, well, I'm going to rotate between these four or five guys, players. And again, it depends how many lineups you're going to play too. So, um, so there's a lot of strategy with that. And um, I was, last year I did really well on my core plays, I just my rotations. I'd always have like, it always felt like each week I'd have one or two guys that just like, Oh, either with injury or game script or, or, Just inefficiencies. They, um, you know, I I had just one or two killers, and and so it's that's another thing in tiers. It's it's quite honestly avoiding the um, the floor plays as much as it is like shooting for that ceiling play. Because you know, if you get a guy that just has an awful game and is like one of the lowest players in that particular tier, that can really hurt you, even if you did have you know five or six other of the top scores in each tier. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah, that totally
1: makes sense. Let me ask you a last question on tiers. Is it the kind of like from a contest standpoint, are there like single entries? Are there MMEs? Are, Are there cash? Like, is it the same type of contest you'd see in a regular format?
2: Yes, there's not as many options, but there's the big tournament. I believe it's called the Flea Flicker on DraftKings. And it's usually a top prize of 20000 So that's not, the, you know, yeah. I'd still like that. Um, uh, so there's the big, you know, 150 max entry, um, $20,000 top prize. Uh, and it's a $5 entry. So it's a very reasonable, you know, entry point too. And then I know they have a couple different single entries and they might have one or two, three max. So definitely not as many, but they do have different options for sure.
1: All right. Well, Megan, I can't let you go without asking you about the NFC East, a very, very popular division for decades upon decades. You have allegedly America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Giants, who are always just a hotbed for attention for a variety of different reasons, the Philadelphia Eagles and, of course, our Washington Commanders. Let me just ask you real quick. Are you from that area? Is that how you became a Commanders fan?
2: Yes, I grew up in Northern Virginia. I now live in Baltimore, so I'm a, I'm a Washington fan in Ravens country, but um, but I grew up in Northern Virginia.
1: All right, yeah, I grew up in Northern Virginia as well. That's really great. Um, so tell me, l- let me just get your opinion real quick on the NFC East. How do you think the NFC East is going to shake out top to bottom?
2: I mean, obviously, I, I still think the Cowboys are the favorite. Um, there's no doubt about that, but I will say um, – this is the most hope I've had as a Washington fan in a very long time. Um, you know, I am a delusional Washington fan every year, I think, is the year and everything. But but no, this is truly the most hope um because I you know, I just think we have some continuity with the coaching staff. I love Ron Rivera and Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator. Um, I think Carson Wentz is the best quarterback we've had since the Kirk Cousins era, um, truly. Um, you, you, know, you, know hitting...
1: what, you know what, Megan, what's interesting about that is people are going to hear that and they're going to scoff at it because they're going to be like, a Carson Wentz hasn't been good in three years. I don't know if you checked recently, but go ahead and look at the quarterbacks that the Washington Commandments have out. peddled out there. And for the record, if you think Alex Smith was a great quarterback before his injury, that guy was not – like his furthest pass was maybe – one and a half yards down the field, he was exactly. uh, unfortunately a shell of himself. You know, it was a great story both pre and post injury. You know, him coming back Absolutely. on the field, but we—it's Megan. You're right. I, no matter how bad you think Carson Wentz is now relative to when he was with Philly, mm-hmm. it, we haven't had anybody.
2: No, exactly. I, I, I should have prefaced that. Like, no matter what you feel about Carson Wentz, he is the best quarterback that we've had since since Kirk Cousins, and so I think that alone adds two or three wins you know we get chase young back um and and you know the on on and the the i like where the defense is going so i mean i i mean i really think the the wentz addition is huge this is the first time terry mclaurin is playing with I think that level of a quarterback, you know, so that's yeah. going to be super exciting to watch. Um, so, yeah, I, I do have hope that uh, Washington can make a playoff run because they may not win the NFC East, but let's be honest, the NFC is not what the AFC is. Um, you know, getting to the playoffs in the AFC is a gauntlet, but in the NFC it's not quite as difficult. So I think it's very reasonable to, um, to have hopes or expectations that they can make it back to the playoffs this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you from a division standpoint, they're plus 500 to win the division, uh, which is I think third place. They're right in front of the giants and it's the Dallas Cowboys, I believe, and I'm not looking at it now. I think the Cowboys are plus 125 to win the NFC East and it's the Philadelphia Eagles that are plus 165. With that said, tell me about the Philadelphia Eagles. I think a lot of people think, Hey, listen, this is a great offensive line. That they've, they're they now loaded at receiver because of A.J. Brown. Jalen Hurts is, you know, I, I don't know, what I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on Jalen Hurts, but overall it does seem like a pretty good team in terms of challenging the Cowboys for that NFC East title. Uh, where are you at on the Philadelphia Eagles?
2: Sure. And, you know, listen, I've seen a lot of, you know, content this summer for especially redraft leagues and best ball leagues and just there seems to be a big love affair with Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, and the Philly offense. And listen, I do, I think A.J. Brown is an amazing receiver, but I don't always think that adding one elite receiver all of a sudden makes that quarterback uh, a top tier quarterback. He, fantasy wise, was, I believe, a top six quarterback last year, but he had 10 rushing touchdowns. And that is, you know, I, I I know Cam Newton did it a couple times. Kyler Murray did it the year before, but then last year regressed to like, I think, five. You know, so I just think that if you're expecting him to get 10 rushing touchdowns again, that's a pretty high bar. And so if he doesn't, he's really going to have to make up for it with that accuracy. Um, again, now I'm talking obviously more fantasy side. Um, So I I have some doubts from a fantasy side if if Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown – if A.J. Brown all of a sudden makes Jalen Hurts, you know, this super accurate, amazing quarterback. You know, if you look in other examples, you know, did Kenny Galladay make Daniel Jones an amazing quarterback? No, did – Um, you know, Sam Darnold going over to Carolina and having DJ Moore make him an amazing quarterback? No. So I guess I'm still really skeptical on that. And I'm going to go into the early season DFS wise and some probably some prop bets wise with that mindset, because it's definitely a contrarian mindset. We'll see. It could, this could not age well. (laughs) It could be a terrible take, but um, that's how I feel. And, and, and just, we'll see long-term how, that plays out if he truly becomes the quarterback the Eagles need him to become, because they were two and four last year to start the year when they tried to be a pass first offense. And then they became a run first offense. Mm -hmm. So we'll really see if they, if they are going to try to be pass first, he is going to have to step up. I mean, if you watch that Buccaneers playoff game, he was, he's not the guy. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm skeptical. And, and if they want to win with him in a more pass, happy offense, I guess I'm a little skeptical of that. So, Well,
1: I think as a Washington Commanders fan, I think that's a great take. I think it will <laughs> age fine. You know, what's not going to age well, by the way, is Kenny Galladay's contract, which uh, you bring up Kenny Galladay. Right. And the first thing I think of is, wow, that was a man, Dave Gettleman, the gift that keeps on giving to all yeah. the other NFC East teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Listen, Megan, this has been such a great show. It's been so informative. We appreciate First of all, we appreciate you kind of taking stock and doing an accounting because not a lot of analysts do that, frankly. Like They just don't. And it's not because they're bad analysts. It's because they're always looking forward instead of looking back. So the fact that you have taken the time to kind of spread your wisdom across the Twitterverse and on this show and on fanspeak.com is incredibly helpful as we kind of go into this 2022 NFL season. With all of that said, though, Megan, you mentioned that you have some some work that's probably coming up, whether that be related to tiers or just fantasy football in general. Where can people find
2: that work? Absolutely. So um, fanspeak.com, it's actually a family business. My brother and I run it together, and we are actually expanding into a lot more fantasy, best ball daily fantasy and sports betting content. So it's really starting now with the series I just did, and I will be um, doing a futures series on my favorite futures bets in all eight divisions, um, a tiers series um, looking at, like I, I kind of spoke to some data points that could maybe gain some leverage in the tiers contest, since that is a niche that I love, um, and probably some other DFS strategy in August as we get closer to a season. And, you know, once then the, the salaries are released and preseason starts, then, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff we can do with that. And that'll take us right into the in season. We'll have a ton of um, DFS and sports betting content on fanspeak.com.
1: Well, everybody, that is Megan Schaup. You can find her at Meg08DFS or on Fanspeak. Uh, Megan, we really appreciate your time. This has been another off-season edition, a great show on Fantasy Football Today DFS. We're going to see you back here next week. We've got a really special show coming for you next week. So I uh, can't wait to have everybody tune in for that. For now, that's it from here, and we will see you later.
0: CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free.